The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Carrie Balcom. She's the executive director for the American Grassfed Association based in Denver, Colorado. The American Grassfed Association represents grass-fed producers all over the United States. Their goal is to promote the grass-fed industry through government relations, research, concept marketing, and public education. Carrie grew up in rural South Florida, where her family still cattle ranches today, and where she was exposed to the pleasures of good homegrown food. She has spent the past few decades involved in all aspects of food and food production. She was certified by the American Culinary Federation as a certified executive chef and taught culinary classes for Metropolitan State College of Denver. She sat on the National Board of Overseers for Chefs Collaborative and the American Livestock Breed Conservancy. Carrie, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I, re- I really appreciate the opportunity. We should let our listeners know we met at an Organic Valley Grass Up event in Washington, D.C., where we were talking to legislators and other folks who were involved in nonprofit organizations, public health groups, and we were trying to help them understand all of the differences that consumers experience in the marketplace. And it is very confusing. It's confusing for me as a dietitian. It's confusing for the consumer. So I was so glad when you agreed to be my guest. Well, thank you. I was glad and honored to be be asked. And I enjoyed the meeting that we had at Grass Up with Organic Valley in Washington. It was enlightening for a lot of reasons, but to bring the dairy industry into grass-fed is wonderful as well. Yeah. Well, we should talk a little bit, I think, about how you got involved in this area. I didn't even know there was cattle ranching in rural South Florida, but how did you become involved in American grass-fed specifically? Well, it's a, it, when people think of Florida, they think sunshine and beaches and, and theme parks. But Florida has been a, a cattle state for many, many, many decades. And at one time, and we still, I'm sure we have a, a running battle with Texas having more cattle in Florida than there are in Texas. It's a cow-calf operation. The cattle are, are raised on open pastures there and then shipped off into feedlots in the, in the Midwest. But it's still a booming industry, and uh, I'm thrilled to see it changing, and I'm thrilled still to be part of it. And my mother is 86 and still ranching down there, so it's in our blood, and hopefully we're going to continue with that. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so I'm glad that you're also a chef because we're going to get to the issue of cooking grass-fed meat. But for the consumer who wants a good cut of beef, and, of course, this is the season for grilling. There's nothing better than the smell of a steak on the grill, and our vegetarian listeners will have to forgive us for that. But we do know we've got good data showing that grass-fed or pasture-raised meat does have a better ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids, with omega-3s being higher in the grass-fed meat. And we also know that they have a higher concentration of beneficial fatty acids, including CLA or conjugated linoleic acid. What I want to know is, as a consumer then going to the store, how do I know the meat I'm buying 
truly is 100% grass-fed? Great question. As grass-fed has become more of a, a buzzword with the consumer, a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon, and I am one of the consumers as well, and I stand in front of the meat counter and stamp my little foot and say, this isn't grass-fed or it's coming from some source that I don't know or it's it's got weird labels or things on it. And the only real way to tell is that if it's certified by a third-party certified program uh, such as AGA because the, the label grass-fed can be almost used by anybody in the industry. And it's very disheartening, but it's the way it is, and we're fighting back on that. But it has to be, if you see the AGA logo, then you know that that farm has been inspected and that they're actually raising their animals from birth to harvest on a forage-based diet. They're not given antibiotics or hormones, and they're not confined. So this is good to know. So AGA, which stands for American Grass-Fed Association, and I didn't realize this was a third-party independent certifier. So I love these certification programs. It's really important for consumers to understand there are very few of them out there. But the third-party independent certifier is independent. They go and inspect the farm. How often are the farms or ranches inspected? We inspect the farms every 15 months, and the reason for the 15-month inspection cycle is that way we get to see the farm at different seasons of the year. When we started, we were doing it every 12 months, and then we realized that that wasn't fair. We wanted to see the farms at different seasons. So it's every 15 months uh, somebody goes out to the farm. They're not employed by us. They're independent, and they do an on-site inspection, and then they send the paperwork in, and and it's reviewed, and then, then licenses and certification paperwork is sent to the producer, and then they can use our seal on their packages. Okay, and we will provide a picture of that seal so people can see what it looks like on the website, and people can go to www.americangrassfed.org and see that logo right now. All right, so the diet means only grass and forage. What is forage? Forages are things that when you don't have enough protein or enough energy in your grasses because of weather or any other reason, they're stockpile forages, and there are, there are things that do not upset the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio or the CLA ratio in the animals. It doesn't. It's not cereal grain, so it doesn't upset the rumen and uh, make the animal sick. So it's stuff that they can. It's it's uh, roughage and forage and and things that they're supposed to be eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than cereal grains, which the animal's not designed to eat in large quantities. Right. And I'm assuming that because the animal is eat what it was naturally supposed to be eating, you're going to have less chances of ill health. Yeah, animals that are eating what they're supposed to be eating, just like us. <laughs> right. The better they eat, the things they're designed to eat, the better off they are. Right. Okay, so I can tell you that at my farmer's market, just a little bit of a dilemma that consumers face is, We have some producers who are, I'm going to use some terms, and I'm going to give you a chance to correct me. So they will say that their meat is grass-fed and grass-finished, and I think they use that term to help people understand that that cow is only eating grass as opposed to the individual who is also saying that their meat is grass-fed, but, oh, they also give it a supplement. Well, the term grass-finished, finished is an industry term, and it's very confusing for the consumer. What we're seeing in the marketplace now are people that are saying they're grass-finishing their animals, and what's happening is they're taking animals out of confinement, finishing them on grass for a couple of weeks or several weeks, and then using that term in the marketplace, and that's very disingenuous to the consumer. As I've 
said a million times, it's it's either grass-fed or it's not. It's like it's sugar-free or it's not. Once you start adding other things to it, then it's no longer grass-fed. So all of these other terms that people or folks are using right now to differentiate themselves in the marketplace, it's unnecessary and it's it, it's confusing. And so the animal is either fed grass its entire life or it's not. Would 100% grass-fed help the consumer differentiate? That term, and it gets into a long, we could spend all afternoon on it. USDA, about a year ago, changed their the way they handle the term grass-fed on the labeling claims that, that they put into the marketplace. And they allow, it's a different body of the USDA that's now handling the label claim. And they are going to allow percentages of grass-fed on labels. Mm. But 100% grass-fed means 100% grass-fed. And But we've, for the last 14, 15 years, we've been saying it's either grass-fed or it's not. So if you see our logo, you know it is 100% grass-fed. With the others, you, I can't verify those. Okay. All right. Another thing that I've seen on some producers' labels or in conversation or on their websites is they say, they feed a high-fiber vegetarian ration or some sort of vegetarian supplement. What does that mean? It means that they're feeding the animal something, and you have to find out. You have to ask the question, what are they feeding? It could be hay. It could be corn. It's a veg- Corn's a vegetable. It could be distiller's grain. It could be anything. So you have to ask the question. And, again, that's another thing. When they say they're feeding vegetarian, they're actually giving the animal something that may or may not be fall within our guidelines. Right. Well, we should talk a little bit about distiller's grain because it's my understanding that that is a very popular supplement because it's so cheap. We're finding, yeah, that a lot of people are using distiller's grain. We don't allow it. It's corn. It's, it comes off of ethanol production. The USDA has said in writing that they don't allow it either, but... We're not seeing that that's translating into the labels they're allowing people to put on their packages. Distiller's grain, yes, it is cheap. It's a byproduct of ethanol production. Majority of that product is treated with antibiotics to keep it from molding. That's right. So you have to be very careful. And, again, it's corn, so you're feeding the animals corn. Well, and I think by extension then for the producer who is marketing their product by saying we don't use antibiotics, and yet they're feeding a distiller's grain that has been treated with antibiotics. I mean, it gets really complicated, doesn't it? It really does. And, and at this point, when, like I say, it's, we're working on it very diligently, but it's up to the consumer, and especially if you're buying in farmer's markets or, or at, at grocery stores, to ask the question what that means and, and you know, make the call and say, what are you feeding? And if they won't tell you, then walk away, because if, if the transparency has got to be there. And I've never found a producer at a farmer's market or anywhere I've gone that, that won't tell me what they're feeding. And if they won't tell you, then, you know, buyer beware. Yeah, I agree. And then there are some other terms that I'd like for us to explore, too. So the term free range, what does that mean? There is no definition for free range. So there's no legal definition. It maybe paints a happy picture of cows on pasture, but in terms of the consumer, when it, to me, some of these terms need to be labeled as red flags, right? If somebody is marketing their beef as free range, I guess what that really tells me is that doesn't have a legal definition. Maybe everybody has their own definition of it. Yes. Okay. Free range can be 
confinement because they're out and about in the pasture, but it, they may not have vegetative growth on it. But they're, it, yeah, just be suspect of the term free range. Okay. Another term that I hear thrown about, and I see labels on beef and other meat products all the time, both at the farmer's market as well as in the grocery store, is the word natural. And I know that the FDA has been dealing with the definition of natural. There's the USDA has a definition, FDA has a definition, or a weak one, I should say. And I don't know if this debate will ever be solved about what we're going to do about it. But what does natural beef mean? Well, it's a meaningless claim. If you go to the Consumer Reports website, they'll explain in detail why it's a meaningless claim. It just means that there's been nothing added to the product. It's any meat in the marketplace can be pretty much defined as natural regardless. So just be very suspect. Um, Consumer Union is trying to either get them to shore up the the definition or do away with it, one of the two, because it's it's very misleading to the consumer, and you think that it's all natural and natural, and, and it's, <laughs> it's one of those things that just, you know, keeps me awake at night, because it, when we get the calls from consumers saying, well, they they told me it was all natural, and, you're, and it, it takes a whole day to try to explain that, so oh, we'll, I know. We'll, we'll put some stuff on our website as well about it, but I would just go to the Consumers Union website, and they'll explain all the details about it. Yeah, and I've been very happy with the Consumers Union website. I think we're probably talking about the same place, the Greener Choices link. Yes. Okay, I'll make sure to have that associated with this also. And I just want to remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are joined by Carrie Balcom. She is the Executive Director for the American Grass-Fed Association based in Denver, Colorado. And we are trying to make sense of all of the different labels that come at us when we're hungry and tired and wanting to just simply put dinner on the table. So what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about any other labels that you think we should know about and be forewarned. We've mentioned some of them, free range. You have to kind of watch the no antibiotic label. That can be confusing. There's a a label out there that I see no antibiotics uh, found which means that the animal may have been treated with antibiotics and they've they've tested the meat and there's no residue in the meat. But that doesn't mean the animal was not sick somewhere along the line. Gosh, there's so many of them out there right now. Free range, cage-free. Well, cage-free, of course, applies to poultry. It goes on. It goes right. on and on. Well, uh, I think the antibiotics is a great one. I'm glad you brought that up because right now what I tell consumers is, With the certified organic label, you've got that third-party certifier. It's independent. You may or may not have 100% grass, but you are going to be sure that there will not be antibiotics and there will not be hormones by legal definition. Now I learned that the American Grass-Fed Association also totally disallows antibiotics and hormones, which is great news. But in terms of other labels, you're right. I think it is very much a buyer beware market. And I don't know if that natural label signifies all the time that there would not be antibiotics used. It's, it's no, they, no, there, no, there's no, there's no caveat on that one that, that there's no antibiotics being used in that. And just, just to clarify is that we're not saying that an animal that needs to be treated shouldn't be treated. It just isn't going to come into our program. And we know from our producers that they take very good care of their animals. And if there's an animal that's, that for some reason needs to be treated, 
it's treated and then taken out of the program. So that's what we're sticking with. Mm-hmm. And I just want to let our listeners know, too, that that is the same with the organic label. Any animal that is sick is not left untreated to be, you know, to die a painful death. They're just removed from the herd and it will not have that label on it. So I'm glad you brought that up. We've been talking about the health aspects a little bit of grass-fed meat, and we've been talking about the health of the animal, certainly. If an animal is eating what it's designed to eat, that's great. But let me just touch on that a little bit more. What happens when an animal is fed grain? An animal that's fed grain, they have a four-chambered stomach. People say they have multiple stomachs. They don't. They just have one. It just has separate chambers. Their whole uh, digestive system is designed to turn cellulose into energy, which is grass. When you feed them grain, what it does is it sets up, it makes them very acidic, which makes them sick. And then you have to give them bicarbonate of soda and, and other things to make them not sick. And it also causes liver abscesses and other things. And it, it causes all kinds of, of problems for the animal. So that's why you shouldn't feed a ruminant animal grain. Right. It's, they're not designed to eat it. It's problematic for for lots of reasons, but that's the main reason. And it's designed to put weight on animals very quickly, and the animal's not designed to put on weight very quickly. It's designed to, to do it incrementally. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point. We're going to have to wait a little bit longer for the healthier animal. It's, go- it's probably going to cost a little bit more, but maybe we could just eat a little bit less. And we agree. You know, like I say, it's eat better and eat grass-fed. <laughs> right. Right. I also want to talk about the planet issues because I think that when we look ahead to future generations, we have to be considering climate change and CO2. How is it that pasture-based farming system is good for the planet in terms of climate change? Well, that's another uh, another long discussion. But basically, when you have animals out on pasture, you're, first of all, you're keeping open space. The animals are actually using the earth to, uh, when they walk around on it and stuff, their hooves are, are massaging the earth, then seeds and stuff, have, and it breaks down the cycle. They're not confined in a, in a small area, so you don't have large amounts of manure and, and other things that, that are for runoff. It's all handled pretty organically, and uh, I don't know that... Anybody, we, Will Harris is the president of American Grassfed, says he says, I don't know anybody that enjoys sitting and watching an animal in a feedlot. He said, but I, every afternoon I enjoy watching my animals out on the pasture, you know, grazing. And I think that if you understand the relationship between grazing, open spaces, uh, space for wildlife, space for growing things, those are the things that, that nurture our souls, mm-hmm. and that's, that's good for the planet. Well, and if anybody has ever driven across the Midwest and seen some of the truly disgusting feedlots that exist, for example, in Garden City, Kansas, just east of the Colorado border. I don't know how to describe it exactly. How would you describe it? It's just a lot of animals not grazing. It's dusty. It's smelly. And I can't imagine wanting to eat meat from those animals. Well, so a friend of mine once described it who had never seen a feedlot before, and they were flying over it. And, she, and then we were we drove by one, and she said it's soulless. Yeah, um, 
And it's just, you know, because when you see the packages of meat in the grocery stores or the farmer's market or wherever you see them, you see always see pretty little pastures, and that's not what's happening. And the system was designed to be efficient, which it is. It was to make things cheaper, but with unintended consequences that we're, we're now grappling with. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And I think that as water becomes scarce in certain parts of the country that really haven't had to worry about it as much, I'm hoping that we'll see a shift towards a more pasture-based system. Talk to me a little bit about the trends that you're seeing. Are we seeing less of the feedlot methods and more of a progression towards pasture? Well, as far as industry trends, from what we've seen right now is that demand is outstripping supply, which is why you're seeing so many posers in the marketplace or what are people you know, people saying they're grass-fed, they're not, because people are clamoring for it. Yeah. And as far as confinement feeding, we wrestle with it every day, and I I think that people that are that are doing confinement feeding are looking at alternatives and, and trying to to see what they can do to change that. It's not going to be an overnight shift. It's going to. It took us 50 plus years to get get to this point. It's going to take us some while to get out of it. Right. It's going to. It's going to be consumer driven. It's going to be consumers knowing the difference and and asking for the difference, and understanding that that the way that her. Our systems are set up now are, are going to take some time to change, and it's going to be up to the consumer to say, I'm willing to pay a little bit more, I'm willing to support local, I'm willing to support grass-fed, and paying the premium and doing all the right things. And I, they, we're seeing it, and hopefully we can change things. Well, I noticed that one of the components of your mission statement is to work with government and that to me tells me that you're looking at different policies that can support you in terms of this method of production. What can we as citizens do to work with your organization to contact our legislators, you know, let our politicians know that this is the kind of food production that we want in our country? What are the policies that are getting in the way of this production method and what are the policies that can help us move forward? Well, it's uh, again, that's a huge question. I'm glad you for, for bringing it up. The policies that are in place is that the, the USDA has a one-size-fits-all policy. I mean, it, it, what's the same policies written for a large confinement feeding operation it has to be followed by the, the producer who's got 200 head of cattle, and that won't work. So we need to have different sizes and different policies for different production methods. Mm-hmm. That would be the one thing. The other of which is that the truth in labeling that we're all pushing for right now is to anytime you see or write, somebody, write your congressman or your senator or anybody at USDA say we want better truth in labeling. And when you see these, these social media outlets coming through with labeling, then support them. And that's, that's going to be the biggest change. Right. Well, that, that's, that's important. Well, I noticed on your website that we can sign up for a newsletter and stay informed that way. I'm hoping that you will also give us action alerts when you want your readers to step up to the plate and say, hey, this is an important piece of legislation. Let's get behind it. Yes, we do. Our e-alerts go out. We have a producer one, and then we also have a consumer one. And then we also, with our Facebook page, which is any type of social media that we can be involved with, we are, and get those things out to you as quickly as we can. Well, we have to talk a little bit about cooking because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who say, you know, I tried this grass-fed beef and it's really tough. And I said, well, I think maybe 
you've got to cook it a little bit differently. So you are a chef. Tell us how to make grass-fed meat taste great. Well, the first thing that you have to do is understand that it's going to taste different. It's in the one thing that it, when you first bite into it, you're going to have a, a beefier flavor. It's I hate to use the term tough, but it's not. It's just it's chewier. And it's got a completely different flavor because it's that animal's moved around. It's it, it's a lean mean, you know, athlete. And right. uh, that's the one thing. The other thing I suggest to all consumers is don't start with a a huge prime rib or a, a ribeye. Start with something that you're not sh- because your mouth, your eyes and your senses tell your mouth what they're supposed to be tasting. Mm-hmm. And if you start with something that you're not really sure what it's supposed to taste like, then you can learn to you can learn the taste. An underutilized cut. Ground, of course, is good because you can you can do use burgers and you can you put onion or uh, we did some last night and with with some grass fed bison that I had gotten and I did a, a shallot butter and it was wonderful. So ground is a good good way to start because it's not expensive and it's a way for your family to start learning the taste of what your your mind is telling you. Okay, this is okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you've got recipes on your website, is that correct? Great. All right, so this is a one-stop shop for anybody who wants to explore this culinary treat. I will tell you that I have a a local farmer who I support where I'm very lucky. I feel very blessed that I can buy her meat. Her cattle are on grass. There are no hormones or antibiotics used. I love the taste of it, and I encourage our listeners, if you have not gone there yet, go ahead and explore. It truly is delicious. The other thing I wanted to bring up, Carrie, with regard to that American grass-fed logo is it's going to tell the consumer that this meat comes from the United States. Yes. How much of the meat that we are buying in the grocery store is not from the U.S.? You know, we've, we've lost that country of origin label. The majority of, of the grass-fed that you're buying in retail is from offshore. Oh, my. Um, there's very little domestic uh, in in the grocery stores, and uh, that's very unfortunate. But it's that's the way it is right now. Yeah. Well, I think that you know I always look at the at food security and food sovereignty issues, and I think that in order to be truly food secure as a nation, we really do need to feed ourselves. So. I'm glad to know that that American Grass Fed Association logo is going to tell me that I am supporting an American farmer here in this country. Well, in this country, yeah, we're the we're the only label out there that, that assures you that 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 animal has been raised by an American family farm and farmers, and uh, we we're supporting them, and and uh, we hope that the consumer will as well. Carrie, we've just got a few seconds left. I want to give you a chance to leave our listeners with a final closing or charge. It's all about education, and if there's any question, if you're if you're thinking about grass fed or you're trying grass fed or you're you're looking at finding out more about it, sign up for our alerts. Give us a call, email us, and we'll be happy to help you through the process. And uh, like I say, it's it's all about knowing knowing your farmer, knowing your food, and we work very closely. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Slow Food. Oh, Slow sure. Food USA. Yes. And there's chapters all over the United States, and we work very closely with them. And they have some great resources for for pasture-raised meats, and we work with them with education and educating the consumer. Well, that is great to know. 
In closing, I want to thank you very much for being my guest. We have been speaking with Carrie Belcom, the Executive Director for the American Grass-Fed Association based in Denver, Colorado. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you so much, Carrie, for being my guest. Thank you. Thank you.